Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. Wednesday edition is here. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Crew is all here as well. Primary complaint in 45 minutes. Michael McCann of Sportico, legal expert. He will join us once again on the show. That will be in 20 minutes as we'll discuss the legalities ongoing across the NFL and college football. Dan Dockich of Don't At Me with Dan Dockich across the Outkick Network. He will join us in about an hour and 15 minutes and plenty to discuss throughout the show. The biggest headline of the day, Baker Mayfield is in Carolina, traded today from the Browns to the Panthers, and we will get into the details of that. But first, gentlemen, good afternoon. What a gift. Right before the show today with this news breaking of finally knowing where Baker Mayfield is going to be playing in the 2022 season. I think it makes sense for Carolina, who had a bad quarterback situation, just got better with Baker Mayfield. And finally now the Browns get to offload Baker Mayfield and move forward with what will probably be Jacoby Brissett uh, for, I'm guessing, at least half of this season before Deshaun Watson is eligible. Three shades of blue. I think we look uh, terrific, terrific today. A real Let's kaleidoscope give ourselves of blue. a shout-out. I think uh, the Mayfield thing has to be keyed. The one element that hasn't been discussed, I don't know how much it's been considered, is him taking swallowing some of this money. So the Browns... Only wanted to go so far, and what they paid, what is it, 10.5, I think they're paying. He swallowed, what, 3.3 or 3.5 here? Three point, it was 18.8, so 3.3 million he took. It. He, I, he voluntarily took that To me, it, that seems to be a, a key element here that got this done. So Carolina paying up to its limit, the Browns paying up to its limit, and he uh, willingly swallowing a little bit of the money, which seems reasonable yeah, well, I mean, uh, to, may, in order to facilitate getting it done. It's a good business move by him because he gets out of Cleveland and he's going to make more this year than what he would get paid on the open market. The Browns are going to cut him if they couldn't trade him. I mean, that's what they're telling you uh, by trading him now for this in, re- in return. I mean, they're, they're essentially splitting the money. They're, they're paying him $10.5 million to not be there. And they are, what, getting a fifth-round pick yeah. in 2024. But he would have made that 3.3 if he got cut because the 18.8 is guaranteed. So he sacrificed that to know where he's going and to get yeah. started uh, and yeah. to put all this to bed. The question for me now is, does Sam Darnold get cut? Um, because they're not going to likely to be a three-quarterback team unless they have very little faith in Matt Corral right out of the gate, right? That's a pain to carry three quarterbacks. Darnold's money is also guaranteed, correct? Yes. Um, so they're going to be swallowing 18.8 there. But I think, you know, maybe you keep them through camp, make sure everybody's healthy and everything's fine and Corral is, is developing. But ultimately, I would think Carolina is done with Darnold. I think they should be done with Darnold. 
And I think you move forward with Mayfield as your starter, Corral as your up-and-comer. You hope Corral pushes him, but you also hope he doesn't because you hope uh, May- Mayfield's good enough that he can't be challenged by a uh, late first-rounder. Where, where was uh, Corral? Late first-round, early second-round? You hope he can't Corral be- was late, much later than that. Later yeah. than that, sorry. And uh, you hope he can't be challenged by that guy because he's too good. And then you're set going forward where you could re-sign a guy if he explodes or you could move to Corral if he's good enough. You've got two options. And Darnold, quite frankly, looks for a third chance. His third chance is going to be as a backup somewhere, probably after things shake out in some camps somewhere. Pick 94, third round for Corral. I think this is probably overrated at times when you look at quarterback style, size, the way they play, and try to match them up There's on a team. There's some similarities there, though. A lot of similarities between Baker Mayfield's game and Matt Corral's Moxie. game. Moxie mixed with recklessness at times. Uh, I, I would say both have a little bit of that. They're both a, a bit undersized also. Um, so there are some similarities there. Look, I think we overrate it because offensive coaches in today's game are very good about adaptability based on their quarterback and getting guys to do things that work with their skill set and their strengths. But I see a lot of similarities from Baker Mayfield to Matt Corral now with Carolina. We've talked about this lately. I can't remember if it was in Baker Mayfield context. And I think we all love that Baker Mayfield you know, sold out for his team and everything. But we also talked about, uh, and I mentioned a story I wrote years ago about availability and, being, and, and quarterback injury avoidance being a skill. Um, and all the great ones have it. I mean, Brady missed a year on a fluke injury. Manning's neck thing was a, a fluke injury. Rodgers had the fluke. But if you look at those guys, they are available. All, all of them have like one big exception. But generally, uh, and, and it's even come to the point where people rate uh, or downgrade what offensive line protection means and call sack avoidance a quarterback stat to a large degree. You're not going to do that for Matt Ryan, who's completely immobile, but for guys who can move, and Baker Mayfield certainly is one of them. I think he now graduates to a guy who, uh, you know, we love that he puts his shoulder down, but he can't risk putting his shoulder down now and getting hurt again. It's, it's injury avoidance, not in a way like you're protecting yourself for your next contract, but in a way you're making sure you start next week. Well, and that, that's, it's funny you bring that up because that's the knock on Matt Corral. Lane Kiffin said he plays like a middle linebacker. Because that's what he was growing find up. The balance. And he wants to play that way, and it puts him at risk where you don't need to put yourself at risk in games. And I see some similarities with Mayfield and, and Corral in that respect as well. And I want to give Baker Mayfield credit because in an era where it is me, 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 next big contract, the contract, and then I'm set, and I'm going to jump ahead of that and make sure I get what's mine. And I understand that it, when, you, when you have an agent and you're – representing yourself with teams because teams are going to repre- represent themselves. I get that mindset. Baker Mayfield played through injury a year ago, and it did not help him. For whatever reason, didn't help him with his team either. Don't know everything going on with that, but he's not that well-liked by some in the Cleveland organization. And I don't know how long the – I don't know. It's not going to call it a holdout, but the back-and-forth went with taking a pay cut. But he willingly took a pay cut of $3.3 million because he wants to get going. He wants to be done. He wants to be with the next team. He wants to move forward with his career. I applaud him for that. But we were talking before last year, before the shoulder injury became a thing, and we were discussing, like, is this a guy you go forward with for the big contract? He was at that crossroads. And 
I, I remember saying, no, he's just too inconsistent. And I think he's too inconsistent. This is huge. He's, he's joining a team that's not great. Um, he needs to be a more consistent quarterback to get himself in the, in the, yeah, this guy can start for my team and we can be solid with him there, as opposed to the, eh, he's a little iffy for me uh, guy. So he's got a lot to prove. and He's got a chip on his shoulder. I like Baker Mayfield with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, but I don't like the Carolina Panthers. I like them more today than I like them yesterday. Well, so I uh, the other way to read into this is Baker Mayfield's side of things leaked that story that there was a mystery team involved in order to get this thing going. Because I think based on the way this deal worked out, it's clear the Seattle Seahawks were not in the mix for Baker. How and about really, that fight the between only, Rappaport and Josina Anderson? The on, yeah, we, we can detail that too. Uh, the, the only team involved was Carolina. So they created some mystery team in order to facilitate this trade. I, I, I look at uh, the situation in Carolina. They have Sam Darnold. Uh, of course, they, they draft Corral. Now they acquire Baker where they're paying their backup quarterback right now. He's the backup right now. Um, five million bucks. And the reason I say he's the backup is Darnold now has been through all of this offseason stuff with Ben McAdoo. And give Carolina credit in this. Unlike the Browns, they have not completely thrown Sam Darnold under the bus where he's going to make 18.8. I don't know the trade market for him, but I, I think it's very similar to what Baker Mayfield sought uh, whenever he started looking around. There are a lot of teams right now, as bad as the quarterbacks are at the backup positions, the teams that made the most sense either are not in the mix to add a quarterback, and I think the other two that come to mind immediately are Seattle and Houston, or you, look, you start looking around and you think of, okay, who's, who's where a starter could easily be benched by October or November? Miami has Teddy Bridgewater. Daniel Jones looks over his shoulder and sees Terod Taylor, where they've invested in a $5 million or less type of backup quarterback. There's a litany of teams like this. And Carolina sits there, and I think Baker says, I can go win that job, given the fact that if I could get there before camp starts. Ben McAdoo is the new offensive coordinator in Carolina. Matt Rule is a, is, has got to be thrilled that they can land Baker Mayfield right now. And again, the, the team itself only paying $5 million allows them to take on the salary of Darnold even if they don't want to start him, if, if he's willing to be the backup. Or they where, could do great against the cap and even pass it forward uh, to next year where they could be or, in the quarterback market again. No doubt. Uh, you know, for wh- whomever. I don't see anybody trading for Darnold at 18.8. No, and I don't, you don't want to do the same. I don't think you would do the same type of deal that Baker just did. If you're Darnold, uh, because keep in mind, like he he's in a tougher spot because he the the leverage now. If you start to look around, there's no other team involved that I think would bring him on. He doesn't fit. If you start looking at the quarterbacks and the style of play in Seattle, Darnold's not that guy. No, for what they're looking for, Baker fit that model. Yeah, Darnold's I, not I think- that guy. He's he's not the backup to Trey Lance. It's very similar style to what Garoppolo would bring. So I don't know why. And again, they, San Francisco's got to come up with a solution with with Jimmy G if they're moving to Trey Lance this year. And then Houston, for whatever reason, is not going to add another quarterback. I think Carolina's just probably looking at it like we're paying twenty three for our quarterback this year. Yeah. And you know, if it if it's if it's Baker and Darnold's gone, well, we'll just consider it twenty three, even though we're only paying five for Baker. So it works out fine because twenty three is a nice 
modest number if you look around the league, unless you've got a rookie starter. Uh, 23 is fine and palatable. Um, Darnold, I mean, if you've watched Darnold, you know, you know what the ceiling is, and, and yes. it's just there's not enough good to overcome the bad. The you Seattle part of this is weird in that the only explanation I can see is that they're just fine being really bad this year. I feel almost like Carol they, they want a Carol high draft said, pick. Look, trust me, I can make something out of this. And Seattle said, well, we'll see if he can. And if he can't, uh, we'll be in great draft position next year. But they've got too much faith in Carroll, and Carroll's got too much control. But Snyder is a really good personnel guy. So maybe he's saying, hey, for the first time ever, you know, we who haven't valued high draft picks will finally have one next year. I think that's it. I I, I really don't think that Pete Pete Carroll has been around this game way too long, and he's had a franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson. He knows what a franchise quarterback looks like. He's not fooled by Geno Smith and Drew Locke. But he also, There's just no way that he thinks those guys are a real legitimate option to win in the National Football League. So I think he's got an agreement with management, with ownership to say, yeah, we're probably going to take one on the chin this year and go get a first-round quarterback high in the first round a year from now. That's got to be the deal. I'll be here to rebuild it is, is clearly – like because he's not going to go out on their worst season – of his regime. So he, I think he's been empowered to endure whatever and then rebuild it with, with a better guy. But I also think he thinks, you know, they can run better than they have in a, in a while. And they've always been run more run reliant than people wanted with the let Russ cook campaign, you know, holding Russ back to a degree. And they've always been, you know, defensively. Now they haven't gotten back to where they were with Legion of boom, but they're certainly, and they've given up veterans, you know, but they're certainly trying to do it that way. In that division, though, you're not going to survive on that. And they're a franchise that's about to be sold. Uh, that's the other, yep. that's the other on the horizon point of emphasis for the Seattle Seahawks. Paul Allen's trust. Um, if they wait another year based on the, the agreement with the city of Seattle, Seattle, if the, if the team is sold prior, I believe 2025, if it's sold prior to 2025, they owe Seattle 10% of the full sale price of the franchise. That was part of the agreement to get the stadium built. If not... And, and if not, then they can sell at any point, at any time. So it will be a few years. Yeah, so it's a couple of years down the road, but they can also set up the franchise to be sold. And I don't... I, I mean, it's very difficult to look at a, a transition like that and say success is on the horizon immediately. Because it, it just depends on the type of ownership you get in there. And you know, I mean, people are lining up for NFL franchises as it is. That's a good franchise. Uh, you know, it's got a, a nice footprint. The stadium is excellent. The city is uh, excellent. It's going to go for Yes. I mean, it'll top Denver's price easily, I would imagine. Uh, just because it's next. I mean, whatever's next is topping, you know, unless you're talking about I don't know. The Jaguars? Would the Jaguars go for less than the Broncos? They might. They might not. They, they'll go for less. Well, it depends if London's buying them. And also it depends how many <laughs> I mean, years. Are we, how, so, how many are years we playing out? these games in the UK? Because then it may be more, a <laughs> lot more expensive. Also, it depends on how many years out. You know, a certain amount of years out, the next franchise, no matter who it is, is going for more just because that's how it works.
Legal analyst Michael McCann of Sportico is back on the show when we return. A lot of legalities to discuss, both in pro football and on the college level. We'll get Michael's take on a lot of the top issues across college sports and pro sports next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. A lot of different avenues for legal issues right now across the sports landscape, NFL, college football, with now we're a, a year into NIL. There are a lot to get to with Michael McCann of Sportico, legal analyst who joins us again on the show. Michael, always great to have you on, man. We appreciate the time today. You got it. Thanks for having me back on. One of the, one of the pieces to the, the Watson puzzle outside of the uh, uh, anything coming with a suspension is Baker Mayfield, who's now in Carolina. Um, as we look to the process now of Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, a, a very open-ended question just to get going before we get with the get to the details of this. What did you make of the the hearing process itself with former federal judge Sue Robinson overseeing this and the process now of both the NFLPA and the NFL making its case in writing for what they believe the suspension should be? Yeah, I think one big takeaway is that Judge Robinson, who, who was a federal district judge for 26 years, is a former prosecutor. She's treating this like a case. And I don't know if the NFL and NFLPA maybe anticipated that there would be this level of scrutiny that Judge Robinson is, is using, that she called them back for three days of the hearing, that she has asked them to file post-hearing briefs, which isn't necessarily unusual, but is is a little bit different from if Roger Goodell heard a hearing and then made a decision. This is more thorough. And I think the, the big one, one takeaway is that she's doing this on her own schedule. This is not you know, the fact that the Browns camp is starting on July 27th. I don't think she cares. I think she's going to make a decision that she thinks is fair. And although either side can appeal her decision to Roger Goodell, I don't think it's going to be easy for for Goodell to just sort of swiftly dismiss whatever she writes. This is a this is a retired judge. She's putting in a lot of time into this. And whatever she comes up with, I think will be pretty thorough. So there is a right to an appeal, but she may make it so definitive and so conclusive and substantive that Goodell has to really respect what she writes. And I think that that's an interesting dynamic when we think about what happens next. Help, help me with this, Michael, Michael McCann with the Sportico. If, if the NFL and the NFLPA agreed on a suspension length today, would that take Sue Robinson out of the equation completely? It would. So, and it's not uncommon to have a union and management resolve an employee workplace issue on their own. As long as the as union and management agree to terms, it's fine. So like you just said, if t- today it's announced that Watson has suspended 12 games and he foregoes his right to an appeal and he foregoes the opportunity to sue the NFL, 
that would be fine, and Judge Robinson's role would be over. They could settle. Uh, am I mistaken? They could settle even after she comes down with the ruling if, if they don't want to go to the appeal process. You got it. Anytime. They, they can settle at any time. This is fundamentally a workplace issue, although it involves a judge and it, and it has sort of the, the sort of uh, gloss of a legal proceeding. It's really a workplace hearing. And it's ultimately up to union and management to decide how to resolve it, if they're going to resolve it through what they come up with. Or if they can, and it goes to court, then it will be up to a federal judge. So those of us unfamiliar with a, a workplace dispute like this, as opposed to court stuff, uh, to me, it seems odd she's looking for briefs kind of after the fact instead of before. What is, What are those briefs and what is she looking for in them? Yeah, I, I think she probably has has left them with questions where she isn't satisfied with maybe what both sides have said. And she wants to give each side a chance to clarify whatever they said during the oral hearing. And my guess is that they probably know what she didn't find persuasive. My guess is that she looks at this and says, this is sort of an unprecedented situation. It's true, other players have been accused of wrongful conduct involving the treatment of women. Never before have we had one where players accused of, at one point, more than two dozen women. So this is, in that regard, unprecedented. At the same time, she knows that players in this situation have often been suspended six games. So if the NFL is demanding a year plus an indefinite period, and to me, when I hear indefinite period, I think that's a ban. Because an indefinite period is, we'll let you back in when we want. That, that's more than a year. That could be a year, two years. And my guess is she has some hesitancy towards that. Michael McCann, our guest on Outkick 360. Michael, it, it appears as though if, and just based on reading all these reports, and we'll get your take, it, it appears as though if the NFLPA will appeal this, and we know it goes in front of Goodell, that they're going to point to the way ownership has been handled from a disciplinary standpoint from the league. But really, that's apples and oranges based on the league constitution, which the owners have to abide by. And it's a conduct detrimental to the league, no different, except for the fact that the discipline that can be handed down through the collective bargaining agreement is exactly that, collectively bargained, and the owners are not held to that same standard. Yeah, exactly. It's apples and oranges. So one, as you noted, this is a CBA issue. Owners aren't governed by the CBA. The CBA governs workplace issues involving union members, which in this case are NFL players. The owners are governed by the league constitution. Now, I think it's fair maybe to criticize Goodell that when it comes to owners who he's ultimately working for, maybe he hasn't been as punishing as he needs to be. Maybe there have been owners that have been treated uh, too lightly. But I, if I'm the judge, I'm going to say that may be true, but that's not my role here. My role is to look at a workplace policy that a union bargained. And if the league, if the if Watson's argument is largely, well, Look at that owner. Why didn't you punish him? I mean, that, you know, what about what aboutism doesn't often work, right? Because it's sort of, well, yeah, I mean, maybe he should have been punished, but no owner has been accused of more than by more than 24 people, right? So I, I think we have to look that there are apples and oranges. And, and even in those situations, I, I, we don't have the same level of process. We, we haven't seen, you know, over a year of litigation and things like that. So 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly could make the commissioner look hypocritical, and, I'm, and the league doesn't want that. And the league doesn't want, I'm guessing, a hearing public hearing transcript published because if that came up, we don't. Not, who knows what was said? Were other owners implicated? I mean, there's all sorts of things that could be in there that the league doesn't want. So it does give Watson and the NFLPA some leverage, but I'm not sure if the judge is going to find that so persuasive. I'm also fascinated by what Watson's camp would view or qualify as a victory in this, because I don't think we're we're entering a a situation where he's not going to miss games. And, you know, there's some days where I read reports and I'm thinking, man, if he just gets a definitive amount of games, that can be a victory in and of itself instead of, you know, indefinite suspension. But if you can't point to the discrepancy with how the owners have been disciplined in the past versus Watson, there's not another player discipline situation that I can think of that's anything close to what Watson has, uh, at least with the number of accusers here. So from his from his legal standpoint, how would you frame an appeal, knowing that it's going in front of Goodell and not in front of Sue Robinson? Yeah, so one is, I think, one question is going to be whether to appeal. Let's say she lands on six games. Uh, he might just say, okay, that's, let's go with six. Because I think six would probably be a victory okay. for Watson and the NFLPA. Because I mean, the, the risk of going to Goodell is he could raise it, right? It's sort of like, you know, t- take, take your losses. Uh, you know, don't, you know, if you're, if you're gambling, don't, don't, keep, don't keep gambling. Maybe, maybe you got to know when to hold them, right? So that may be a situation like that. If he, you know, if it's 12 games, if it's a year, then the argument to Goodell is this is excessive. That no player has been punished that long for what amounts to an allegation that that we should note hasn't been proven, right? I mean, grand jury did not indict him. The lawsuits are lawsuits. They haven't been established. There were settlements in 20 of them. He has maintained his innocence throughout. He has not at any point said, yeah, I did something wrong. So he gets, I guess, some consistency points. I My guess is the argument is that other players have gotten six games. Why shouldn't I get six games? Michael McCann from Sportico, legal expert, is our guest here on Outkick 360. Michael, I hear this and I read this all over the place, and we have guests like you on the show to separate fact from fiction and tell us the difference between the two. Here's one thing I see, hear, read everywhere. Well, if Major League Baseball gave Trevor Bauer two years then Deshaun Watson is getting at least X amount of time because the NFL doesn't want to look soft on violence, on anything that with women. These are two very different cases when you look at it. Can you separate the two between these two cases and just give us your thoughts when you saw Major League Baseball suspending Trevor Bauer for two seasons? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a story that was somewhat critical that the punishment seemed excessive based on past practices. And my guess is that in his appeal, that will come up, that it it just seems disproportionate, frankly, to what other players have been punished. And they're obviously different in terms of the number of accusers or difference in in the alleged facts. Uh, I would say that one doesn't, how the NFL handles this and I should say how the NFL and the NFLPA handles this versus how MLB and MLBPA handles Bauer, I think are their own separate entities. I would say that the, the NFL could argue that in the current environment, 
these allegations against Watson are more damaging to the league brand because more attention is being paid towards issues of domestic violence. So to the extent the punishment reflects damage to the league's interests, maybe Goodell could say, well, Bauer's punishment illustrates how damaging these accusations are to the league and that we want to deter this conduct by imposing very lengthy punishments. He could do that, but my guess is that they remain separate. They're certainly separate in all sorts of levels because they're we're talking about completely different sets of allegations. Let's uh, flip to baseball there for a second since we're touching on it. I'm curious just on the CBA agreed to out of the lockout, how much is it almost a death knell for a team like like Oakland, which has stadium issues on top of that, for Cincinnati, where, where you heard an element of ownership talk about the, the alternatives. Those teams are terrible now. We saw the A's sell off all, all of their, their good players. How doomed are franchises like that, given the framework they're asked to work with within now? Yeah, I, I think in this, you know, Paul's been an issue for so long, right, in baseball. It's just sort of the, the haves and have-nots, and it doesn't seem as if there's really every once in a while a team with a low budget can can overcome that and succeed. It's sort of the Cinderella story, like in March Madness. But but it's just tough. I, I think unless unless there's a salary cap, it's very difficult to have a system where teams that have more resources aren't going to succeed more often. It's just and I and I think as long as baseball sticks to the system that they have which they tweak in every CBA, but it's fundamentally the same. And, you know, the, the, the Yankees and Red Sox and Dodgers and, and other big market teams are always going to have a big advantage. Sometimes they squander it, but that doesn't mean that their opportunity is better. I guess the question comes down to, you know, players are, are, are going to argue they don't want their salaries constrained by a salary cap. And if I were a player, I'm sure I would feel the same way. So it just seems as if other leagues have been have handled this issue with a, a maybe a greater appreciation of giving every team a chance to succeed, like you know in the NFL, right? Where every the salary cap that doesn't guarantee. We know that some teams have had dynasties, but it certainly makes it more likely that teams that are bad will be good again. We're watching conference realignment, and uh, just like last year, it's a big story right now with USC and UCLA. Can you explain the process of what was coming out late last week where the Oregon legislature is trying to, or at least putting it out there, that they would like Oregon paired with Oregon State, Washington and Washington State paired together, instead of Oregon and Washington becoming uh, a, a duo? Um, and, and where you think we may be headed from a, a legal side of things here? Yeah, I mean, I think seeing state houses sort of weigh in, I think it's going to be tough to stop the train. The fact is that conference realignment is a reflection of the, that this is a big business. And we know that contracts involving conferences and member schools contemplate schools leaving and conferences being realigned. And the, the key issue to me, the legal part of that is if they're doing it in a way that's consistent with their contractual obligations. If not, there could be litigation over that. But I think what we're seeing is what a trend that isn't all that surprising that there probably will be two super conferences and, and everyone else. And I think that that's, maybe that's not the worst thing. Maybe that's how college sports should be. That if you look at revenues for schools, if you look at 
which schools are making a lot of money on sports. It's probably a select group that are doing much better than everyone else. So if it turns out that conferences reflect that, now I think there's also a separate issue of, you know, how is it that they can make this kind of rapid change uh, so quickly, and yet there's pushback on any sort of opportunities for athlete compensation. Look how long it took for them to get NIL, right? That took, it took decades. And yet conference realignment can happen, it seems like, in a 24-hour period. I mean, you know, uh, when we hear we have to wait, that, that argument seems uh, deflated by the speed of these realignments. A, a year ago, name, image, likeness had just started uh, where the NCAA took a step back from, from regulating this, and it became a state issue uh, from how to govern this. Uh, do you think we'll see a, a federal legislation level to name, image, likeness, or is this going to remain at the state level? Yeah, I'm skeptical because the chance to do something federal, I think, was before the state laws went into effect. What we've seen since is that states are controlling NIL, and it's hard to take away state autonomy, one. And secondly, I I don't know if there's the same drive in Congress to have a federal NIL bill. The NCAA wants that, but what the NCAA wants with that is, for example, an antitrust exemption that would eliminate one pending lawsuit, House versus NCAA. That lawsuit basically says, why is it that it's now okay with amateurism that NIL is okay? What about all that money athletes could have made for years, right? Why wasn't it okay then? It's a, it's a kind of a good argument. So I don't, see the, I don't see the political, the needle that would have to be thread. Uh, I got to testify before the U.S. Senate, and I think if you look at there are definitely Republicans and Democrats who support federal NIL, but I don't know if there's enough of them. And this sort of need to do something federally, I, I, it's, the moment I think is probably passed. So it's going to be tough, especially, let's face it, there are other topics that are occupying uh, the time of members these days too. Well, is there any way that the NCAA can deter a collective or a business from getting involved in in pay-for-play. And and what I mean by that is when a state allows a high school player to receive money for NIL, the NCAA is saying, well, that's not what it's intended for. It's when you get on campus, you make money off name, image, and likeness. But we know how this has been twisted. When you see the current state of the NCAA, do they have any teeth to go out and do something about it if collectives attached to schools are doing these things? I think... If they don't do anything, it's going to keep happening. And the NCAA issued a couple months ago an advisory saying this is wrong, that our longstanding rules against pay-for-play exist, but they haven't enforced them. And I think this is like any situation where if there's a law or rule and it's not enforced, and other people see it's not enforced, and they take advantage of it. So to me, if, if I'm a legislator, I'm going to say, Look, NCAA, you have to take action. You have to step up and enforce your own rules. Don't come to Congress and ask us to sort of solve this. You have rules against pay for play that have been in place for decades. And not only that, that aren't lost, the Supreme Court ruling last year in Alston versus NCAA, that had nothing to do with pay for play. So those rules remain in place. And if the NCAA isn't willing to enforce them, it's I think it's tough to ask Congress to say, you know, come up with a law that will will give us the ability to enforce it. They already have the ability, in my view. 
Michael McCann, Sportico legal expert, has been our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at McCann Sports Law. Michael, always uh, great to have you on the show. We, we appreciate uh, your your take on a lot of the topics that we're, we're covering on a daily basis. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. There's Michael McCann there. Uh, won't be the last time we ask for, for his assistance on uh, wading through some of the, the craziness and legalities of, of sports right now. Uh, and plenty more to hit that we, we didn't have time to get into uh, with, with him today. Uh, specifically, what's going down in Miami, for one, and what's up with Washington and Daniel Snyder. All of that will play out over the next several weeks, as will the, the Watson suspension. Baker Mayfield traded to the Carolina Panthers. We'll have more reaction to that as the show progresses. When we come back, though, every Wednesday at this time, primary complaint on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up, details on the trade where Baker Mayfield is headed to the Carolina Panthers. Brittany Griner makes a direct appeal to President Biden. We'll discuss that. Plus, Tiger Woods speaking in advance of the British Open. And a Wimbledon note that you need to know about. We've got all of that and more, plus Dan Dockich coming up on today's show. But gentlemen, every Wednesday on Outkick 360, it's time for primary complaint. And I start this week uh, with, with my primary complaint. There is this buildup in every neighborhood. I'm sure anyone listening can relate to this. Every neighborhood is doing some type of fireworks show, either through your HOA or through the individual homes. And I'm all for it. I love it. However, I hate the way several people treat the cleanup process of this where it looks like a war zone for days after July 4th across name a neighborhood near you trying to drive through. And I'm not necessarily saying that it's any, at any detriment to my vehicle at all. It just looks like crap. And I wish that HOAs would enforce this disaster policy the same way they would if I let my lawn grow for a day extra uh, on a, any given week during the summer. So I would say enforce the trash policy, especially after the July 4th weekend. That is my primary complaint. My primary complaint this week, I'm going to Twitter for this one. And my complaint is for those that do not understand or care to understand how Twitter works. And I'm talking to this guy that if you're watching or seeing on the screen right now, someone who goes by Lord Connor Whalen. Well, Lord Whalen is no lord that I know of from Game of Thrones because he's tweeting me and talking about me like I can't see the at mention when he's tweeting me in response to probably something that had to do with college baseball. I honestly don't remember what the tweet was in reference to. He asked the question, is this guy related to Darren Ravel or something? Let me tell you something, Lord Connor Whalen. Or maybe you're a Duke. I don't know. Maybe not full Lord status. I have nothing in common with Darren Ravel. Absolutely nothing. And if you want to make an accusation like that, if you're going to at me, bro, 
at me, bro. Just tell me. You are related to Darren Ravel. You sound like Darren Ravel. Don't ask this question to the ether when you are sending it to me. Is this guy related to Darren Ravel or something? This guy is me. I'm seeing it. Say it. Don't ask it. Tell me if you believe it next time. That's my primary complaint. Maybe they, they do you run in a similar fashion to Darren Ravel? I know the answer. Absolutely to that. not. <laughs> similar athleticism. I would kick Darren Ravel's ass in everything. Don't you have a lot of uh, other than African American history? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, and, the artifacts. And artifacts. He definitely has is, me beat in that. His, his collection. His collection is, is section to yours and much and if better. If you don't than believe it, he'll mine. tell you about it. Yes, I mean, I'm sure there's some game out there. Like Darren Ravel strikes me as the guy who has Chess. that one shot in horse oh, yeah. where he like shoots it behind his head in a weird way over and over. He can't hit a free throw to save his life, but he'll hit some crazy shot to beat you in horse. But he's got, Maybe that. Everything else I've got. He's it. got two knee braces and an elbow brace and a headband on while he's hitting that oh. shot. Hey, look, do, do you think, goggles. Do you think it's, he's in better form shooting a basketball or running the 40? Uh, I don't know, but he looks like he's Philip Seymour Hoffman playing basketball better? every time. He's got to shoot the basketball better than he runs. You can't do I much have a worse. feeling it, it, may, it may be worse. It may be more cringe. <laughs> I, I, think, I think running is the easy one for him. I think shooting a basketball is going to look far worse. I've gone to this territory before. Uh, I watch a lot of baseball on an extra innings package. I have the Yankees extra inning package. I don't understand. My primary complaint is about what they do during commercial breaks. Um, First off, they put this up a lot, just just, yeah. just that. But the other thing they do is they show this ad for, like, the history of MLB Network, which is, you know, very boring after you've seen a long time. I don't understand why they don't do regional advertising. If I'm watching New York Yankees baseball, odds are on this, odds are I'm kind of displaced from the metropolitan area. So why wouldn't you get, like, I'm just going to use one example, H&H Bagels to advertise here. And then the person in Kansas City who's missing the Yankees probably has some attachment to New York, can't get H&H Bagels. This would appeal directly to them. Or, you know, fancy New York City cheesecake, a particular brand saying like, you can get this where you are, but you can't get it because you're not in New York, but I can ship it to you. And that would be spectacular. If you're a Pirates fan watching the Pirates, you could advertise Pramani Brothers, and, and I can ship this to you, things like that. Seems like a huge missed opportunity where you're connecting directly with the displaced audience of that city, yet they don't seem to make any effort to do this, and I don't understand why not. Uh, it can't be that difficult. You've got a specifically targeted audience here, and you're wasting it. There has to be some agreement where it's embargoed that they're not going to come into the territory of the Yes Network or Masson and, it's, and, yes. and try to charge people less than what they would pay for that network. And it's probably some Major League Baseball official sponsor blackout type thing on certain products where they have all their official sponsors and partners across That's, the There's got to be some agreement there. Otherwise, there's it, no, it doesn't make sense. They wouldn't turn away the money to do that. Um, you know, it's, I would think it would be another somebody, way for them to reap from, a fortune off of what they, I talk about all the time, it being such a regional game, but connect they, you back to home. They're so handcuffed. Handcuffed, I think, is the right word, but they, they allow it, so it's, uh, you know, they're into that. Uh, they're so handcuffed into the regional broadcast that ESPN pulled out of the Monday Night Baseball contract. That's why you don't see Monday Night Baseball anymore is because they wanted exclusivity with that game, and Major League Baseball wouldn't give ESPN – a true national broadcast 
because of the regional networks and what that means to their agreement. Their well, they backed agreement. out of the Sunday thing where everything was blocked out on Sunday and only Sunday night baseball was available, which was incredibly uh, obnoxious. Well, So the Sunday night game is the exclusive game on Sunday yeah. night, but if your team's playing at 1 o'clock on Sunday, you could still watch them. Thank God. Yeah. From, Used to be not the case. From someone, yeah. though, Paul, that sees a lot of local advertising on my Braves broadcast on Bally's, let me tell you, you're not missing out no, I'm on not much because they're all see. local car dealerships yeah. that are uh, chip carry ads where the guy who sings a seventh inning stretch song is singing "Take Me Out to the Ball yeah. Game" in a Toyota. I'm not saying I want, I want to see their local Dunwoody. advertising. I want to see local advertising targeted to people like me who are watching out of market. Oh, aren't you missing this about New York? I can get it to you in Nashville. I can get it to you in Kansas City, San Diego, right. Seattle. I think there's smart niche advertising to be had there that could make a company a fortune if it if it sells out of market. I I don't just there's got to be some maddening agreement that people are just like I, I'd love to be able to sell this to a local advertiser there to target you here, but I can't because of the agreement that we're not going to go into these markets and try to target um, advertisers who to take otherwise away from the bagel would people. sell to the local regional network right. So I the guess. Braves person selling bagels doesn't get screwed yeah. in Nashville. Um, I don't care. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd also just like to say to MLB.tv, we feel your pain. And you can get you yeah. can get H and H bagels in Nashville now. But Headlines next, including Baker Mayfield to the Panthers.